You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Morning, church. Awesome. So glad you're all here this morning. What an amazing time of worship. Amen. It's so good. God is so good. So good to, to worship as a family and just to have been having this brew in my heart for quite some time that, that worship is not something that we do. Worship is not songs that we sing or just a portion of the service. Worship is what we are. We are worshipers. God has called us to be worshipers. Um, every person needs to discover that you yourself, you naturally worship. You actually come into this world naturally worshiping something. You want to give yourself to something. And uh, I often time, time is fine that you know, where the church goes wrong is compartmentalizing worship to be some songs we sing and people fall into this routine of predictability in church, the liturgy of the church, which I'm not saying liturgy is per se bad in and of itself, but the, the younger generation, they see through the boredom of it all, the predictability of it all, and like the illogicalness, that it doesn't make sense that we're talking about an eternal God, a loving God, a personal God, that we'd be sitting there just kind of singing songs, you know, bored and just kind of checking the box. If we're really talking about an eternal God, creator God of the universe that pursued us and gave himself for us and, and then wants relationship with us, there would be this extravagant expression of passionate worship. And, uh, and I'm finding time and time again, I find it in my own story, but I find it raising kids that one of the best ways to disciple the next generation is through worship. So if you want, if you want young people to serve Jesus, be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. They see it. They see, they see through all the games. They see through all the gimmicks. But they are, there's something that strikes a chord with the genuineness of people worshiping God. They say, yeah, there, there must be something real to this. They're, they're, they're tapping into their, their God-created you know, order of things, the image-bearing capacity that they have to be in relationship with this divine being. And, um, and so, I mean, I could preach a whole message here on, on just worship, but... Um, but I just, I'm thinking about the, like the way in which in the kingdom, there's such honor for extravagant worship, you know, and Jesus tells us that this woman who, who came to him, this woman with a, a scandalous past, um, she had been wrong. She had done many wrongs. She came into the room with Jesus and she broke her most, you know, uh, precious earthly, uh, treasure at his feet, that alabaster jar. And he, she worshiped Jesus with tears, with words, with, uh, washing, her, washing his feet with her hair. And Jesus said, this woman will be talked about forever. Not about her past, not with shame and conduct, but in a place of honor. And so we need to learn as people that God wants to let loose in you this extravagant heart of worship and adoration. And uh, I believe in that, the church will really come alive as well to actually be a gift and influence to the world around us when we, we tap into being worshipers that God has called us to be. Um, this morning I want to share a message, not about worship necessarily, but the privilege of his presence. That's the title of my message this morning, the privilege of his pres- presence as we wrap up this series on the extravagant love of God. You know, we, we aren't, um, we aren't, exhausting the, the theme of the love of God, really just cracking the door open. We're just scratching the surface, piquing your curiosities, you know. Um, 
beginning to lure you into this lifelong journey of intimacy with God, of knowing the love of God in a personal way. And so we have been um, in this journey for you know, eight, nine weeks, and it's been awesome. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. you know, God really loves you. He loves you so much that he would take you from being all alone in this world, an orphan, to actually being brought into a place of belonging and adoption into, into the family of God. That's the extravagant love of God. He loves you so much that he'd take you from being enslaved to sin, like no will of your own, to actually being a free co-heir in a kingdom. He loves you so much, and this is what we're gonna talk about this morning, that he took us from being unworthy and irredeemable, actually worthy of death, to actually just come close to him. The sentence is death, to a place of actually hosting his very presence. That is the extravagant love of God in this third aspect of the love of the Holy Spirit can even seem scandalous, especially for old covenant eyes. For an old covenant paradigm, it can be scandalous to talk about not just coming into the presence of God, but actually hosting, being a dwelling place for the very presence of God. But that's the grace of God. It's extravagant and it's even scandalous. It's the love of the Holy Spirit and that's the age in which you and I live. This is the age in which Jesus was anticipating he was excited for this moment, for him to give his life and be, be rose back to life and for the Father to send the Holy Spirit. He said, it's, it's better that I leave. The Holy Spirit comes. He was looking forward to this age of the Holy Spirit, the age of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to unpack this incredible uh, distance that was bridged by Jesus to take us from irredeemable and unworthy to actually being a host of his presence. I want us to grapple with that before we dive into what it means to host the presence of God. There's, a, there's a, a theme throughout the Old Testament of the fearfulness of the presence of God. Like the, the sentence of coming near to the, the holy place, the holy of holies, was death. Death would be imminent. There's actually this story, this peculiar story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and it kind of makes you angry reading it. And it actually made King David angry when the whole episode happened. But the Ark of the Covenant is being brought into Jerusalem on a car, a brand new cart, pulled by oxen. And it's going by this, this guy, Uzzah's home, and, and he's trying to be a good citizen of Israel. There's thousands in this processional, thousands being led by David. And, and the, the oxen cart begins to be jostled by the bumpy road, and he thinks the, the, the Ark of the Covenant's maybe going to fall, so he reaches out to steady the Ark. Bad move when it comes to the presence of God. He came too close to the presence of God and said the Lord struck him down, dead. Like, game over. It's over for Uzzah. And this kind of indignation rose up in David. He was mad at God. He's like, I don't want the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem, so he, he sticks in the home of Obed-Edom. And... Um, He's angry with God. There is this fearfulness that we see in regards to the presence of God. That is the, the essence of God's justice. There, there is a, a punishment, a consequence for sin. And the reality is holiness and unholiness cannot mix. And so throughout the Old Testament story, you see this, this theme beginning to build of the awful fearfulness aspects of God's presence. It's like when you walk into a restaurant or a theme park or, or someplace like that, you see certain doors that say, do not enter. They say, authorized personnel only. Do not enter. That's what it's like before Jesus. 
It's like you cannot go near God. It's only for certain authorized personnel. And God in the Old Testament, he set up certain protocols, certain authorized personnel, high priests that could go into the presence of God through certain means on an annual basis. But beyond that, that was the only access. Do not enter. So we're in this weird place before Jesus. We're on this path towards destruction. Like we are, we are headed towards a, um, a, collision course, a collision course towards God's justice. We would have to pay for our sin with our life. That's death. But we also, we can't get off that path. There's no way off. All the signs we see for the doorways off say, do not enter, authorized personnel only. It reminds me, the, the, this whole scenario uh, came out of a, that analogy came out of an instance that me and my family encountered at a theme park a few years ago. We were riding on one of those water flume rides. You know, at the end, there's a big drop and the big splash. And we were pulling away. We just got on the ride and we were pulling away from the, the boarding location and our lap bar didn't go down. And so, you know, as, as a young father, I was just trying to keep it cool. I'm like, it's going to be all right. My wife's starting to get scared. She's like, Drew, it's not latching down. What are we going to do? We got to get somebody to send I'm like, it's going to be all right, babe. I had my four-year-old next to me. I'm like, I'll just hang on tight to her. It'll be, it'll be fine. And uh, we make it around a few twists and turns. And we start going up the first hill. There's a couple drops. We start going up the first hill. And all of a sudden, the ride stops. I guess on one of the cameras, they had caught that our lap bar was still up. And uh, one of the staff people, they came to us and they said, we, well, I don't know what's going on with your, your boat. The lap bar won't go down. Here, why don't you get off? And in that, we went backstage. We went to those places that before it said, authorized personnel only, do not enter. You don't belong here. They said, actually, no, no, now you belong. Come backstage with us. Like they rescued us from our path towards destruction through a place before we, we, could, we didn't have access. We, didn't, we weren't allowed to go there, but now we were. Now we were because of their grace, because of their mercy. Thank the Lord that they saw that. I'm sure we do it on fine. But that's what Jesus did. He rescued us from our path towards destruction by actually inviting us into this backstage, the, the innards of the kingdom, into the very presence of God. Hebrews chapter 9 Verses 11 through 12 says it like this, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and the more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, the securing an eternal redemption. So in this Old Testament story, in his divine wisdom, in his redemptive plan, he's, he set he gave this, this assignment, this mission to Israel to host his presence, to host his glory. And they did it in the, the tent of meeting, later in the temple. This place, the holy of holies, where the presence of God, the kabod, the glory of God dwelt in their midst. People could only get close through a system or a schedule of sacrifices. Certain personnel, certain qualified people with credentials, the high priest, Levitical priest, they could go into the Holy of Holies through a certain schedule of sacrifices. Only if there was a payment of blood, someone, there had to be life given, life taken to pay, as payment for sin to, to satisfy justice. So when Jesus came, part of what was, what was being fulfilled was that place as our great high priest. He was going into that holy, holy place on our behalf he was the only one who was worthy. He was already worthy. There was no sacrifice needed. He could go in because he was perfect. But then he, gave, he was also the sacrifice. He gave of himself. 
He gave of his own blood so that he could look behind himself and say, come, follow me. Into these places you weren't allowed to go before. Come, come with me. Into the holy place. See, he's the great high priest and he's also the sacrifice. So this is now our privilege to live in and with a constant awareness of his presence. He's leading this group of priests. That's what you become when you become a child of God. When you become born again, you become a high priest that's able to come into the holy place, into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10, the very next chapter, says it like this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We were rescued from our path of, towards destruction into the places in which we were not allowed before. And this is now our privilege to be in this place, in a, in a place of constant awareness of his presence, of his being, of, of being with him. First Peter chapter 2 says like this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's who you are now. You've been ushered into the priesthood. Jesus looked behind him, himself and he said, come with me now into the holy place. You're part of the authorized personnel. You're, you, you now have the credentials because of my perfect sacrifice to come into this restricted access place, the holy of holies. He says, we're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the extravagance of God's love. He take us from the outside, from darkness, into the very holy of holies. To actually be a place in which we dwell with God, his presence actually coming and living inside of us. When you begin to embrace this aspect of God's love, the love of the Holy Spirit, you begin to be in line with your very purpose, the very purpose for which you were created for. This is central to the redemptive story that God is writing over your life. This is what he's leading you. This is your eternal destiny, to be with God, to dwell with God. That's what he created for you. That's why he breathed life into you, to bring you into a relationship with him. And that's what you look forward to in this heaven to come. It's to be with God as you look back over the redemptive story, back to Genesis. What do you see? You see Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the morning with, with God. That was, what, that was the space that God created. He created this beautiful creation and he just wanted to be with them. He wanted to be with humanity in that place, in communion, in relationship, dwelling with them. Obviously that was broken by their willful rebellion and our own willful rebellion. And then throughout his redemptive story, he's constantly bringing us back to that. He's, he he uh, calls a, a people, a nation, Israel, and central to their uh, distinct uh, identity on the earth is his presence. That's what it is. And he tells them that, continue, I want to dwell with you. This is your destiny, that I might dwell with you. So fast forward all the way to Revelation 20, 21, of which has not yet happened. This has not taken place. This is our future. This is our destiny. This is what we look forward to. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is our future destiny. That God may dwell with man. And so we have this down payment right now. We have this deposit with us in this, par- in this um, dispensation, in this age, this age of the Holy Spirit, which we get this glimmer, this sense of our future destiny, of being with God in this new heaven and this new earth, because Holy Spirit now comes to dwell in you. He comes to live in you, his presence in you. This is what you were created for. The book of Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were destined, we were created to be a host of his glory, but it was sin that broke that. The glory is that, that Old Testament understanding of the kabod or the, the actual manifest presence of God. That's what you were created for, but it was sin that broke that off. And so it's Jesus that restores that, that union or communion with the glory of God. Our life as a child of God isn't about us trying harder to impress God. It's about desiring to live with a greater awareness of his dominant reality in our life. And I believe that many people live oblivious to this fundamental aspect of, of the gospel. It's good news because he rescued us back into our eternal purpose of being with him. Amen? And there's so much that then flows out of that encounter with that truth with his love for, for, for what you were created for. When you understand that you were created to host his presence, to be with him, to be in relationship with him. You begin to familiarize yourself with actual daily relationship with God through Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit becomes the one in which you and I, we interact with every single day, Monday through Sunday. We now have the privilege of hosting the person of peace. That's why now our peace, as children of God, our peace is not circumstantial. Think of it. You now host the person, the personification of peace. His name is Holy Spirit. And you host him with you all day long, every day as a child of God. When you say yes to Jesus, the gift that accompanies that is Holy Spirit coming to live with you. You know, Jesus lived the life that we are called to live. So you want to know what life is? is gonna be like after his death and resurrection. Look at the life of Jesus. It gives you a picture, a model of how we're called to live as children of God. And he's the, the ultimate son. So if you wanna be a son of God, just look at Jesus. But we see at the announcement of his ministry at the Jordan River after he was baptized in water, the scripture says that Jesus saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on Jesus. And for, for Jesus, this was an affirming, like there were Old Testament parallels or Old, Old Testament, um, in the Jewish story, there were connotations connected to a dove that he, he, he knew. This was the, the peace of the Father resting upon him. This was Holy Spirit, the, the, the person of peace resting with him. This image of the dove we see that the image of the dove in Genesis chapter eight as, as the, the flood is, is beginning to be dried up and Noah sends out the dove to, to do the survey of the land, to look for dry ground. And what does he come back with? He comes back with, the dove comes back with an olive branch. 
This has now become the international symbol of peace, right? The dove with the olive branch. Well, this is the picture of, of what happens to Jesus as his, the announcement of his ministry. Holy Spirit comes to dwell in him like a dove, anointing him, anointing him with the, the oil of heaven for ministry. There's a peace that accompanies him in his life. And that's what accompanies our life now as a believer. It's the Holy Spirit anointing us with peace. Just like that, that moment that marked the beginning of this new chapter, this new season. This marks, this marks your life, the Holy Spirit and peace, anointing you for good works to live this life. So this becomes our challenge now, to live in this reality every single day. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes maturity. But I encourage you, it's not fleshly striving. I like to think of it more as intentional responding. It's not striving. It's not this thing of like constantly critiquing yourself being mad at yourself for not being aware of Holy Spirit. What it is, is more and more learning to be intentionally responsive to Holy Spirit. Respond to him. He's there. Respond to him. When you're in the car by yourself, respond to Holy Spirit. He's a person, a person of, of the Godhead. And he's there. Talk to him. Respond to him. Listen to him. You know, when you're doing the dishes, just thank God. Adore him. All this is here because of him. So just thank him. Worship him. I encourage you in your living room, take time without your device. Yes, I said it. Take time without your device and sit there and rest. Be still with him. Recognize his presence. Respond to his presence right there because he is there. And in that place, you'll recognize a peace that comes and rests on you like a dove that rests on you. There's no rush there's no grade. There's no need to critique yourself. You just make him the focus because you're just, you're just adoring him. You're just infatuated with him. You're in love with him. There's no, no need to fret. This is how Brother Lawrence says it you know, several centuries ago in the practice of the presence. He says it like this. The only requirement is that we place our confidence entirely in God. Abandon any other concerns, including any special devotions you've undertaken simply as a means to an end. God is our end. If we are diligently practicing his presence, we shouldn't need our former means. We can continue our exchange of love with him by just remaining in his holy presence. Adore him and praise him. There's so many ways we can thank him. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us leads us to love God. It's the peace that accompanies this active awareness of his reality, of his presence. And I'm so excited for the church to, the church Big Z, but also just our local church, our congregation, our community, to have a revelation of this and to see that revelation then let loose on our city, in our community, in our neighborhoods. Because there's a byproduct of living life with his presence that our city desperately needs. There's this authority that you grow in as you grow in your awareness of God. Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance arising up to God. When you live with this awareness of who God is, you realize that you become, you smell and you, you look more like Jesus. I believe there's such a joy that's going to be restored in the church 
when God's people learn to dwell with him, to be with him, to recognize his presence, to be at rest in his presence, to be satisfied in his presence. We don't need more stuff. We don't need more big, bigger buildings and, and more programs and more entertainment. Instead, he is enough. He becomes enough. What's unleashed in the church is an actual authority to make an impact. And I want to tell you that we owe the world an encounter with Jesus. We owe them that. They see so many other silly portrayals of what it means to follow Jesus. What they need is an encounter with his presence. That's only possible when his presence is evident in our life. There's a lie that sometimes we, we fall into. It's the lie of commonness. It's the lie that our life is too common for God to use us in any significant way. I and mean, we're from Iowa, right? That is like, that's just plain, generic Iowa. We're from mid, the Midwest. And I say that coming from North Dakota. That's, that's two steps above in uh, being more off-brand. You know, we're, we're just Midwest. There's nothing, we're not flashy. We're not, um, we're not attractional in the, the worldly sense. We're hardworking, humble people, right? But in that sense, for any person, there's this lie that we can succumb to, which is the lie of commonness, where we think, God can't use me. I'm just a common person. I put my pants on one leg at a time. And we forget that it's not us or our personalities or our origin story that makes us distinct. It's the presence of God that makes us distinct. It's his presence resting in us, his presence with us that makes us distinct. And Moses, after 80 plus years of you know, some mistakes and some breakthroughs, he had a clear conviction about this 80 plus years into his journey. In Exodus chapter 33, God is pushing him and the people of Israel beyond Mount Sinai towards the promised land. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. From how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Like he got it. He understood. It wasn't his awesome leadership. It wasn't all of his innovative ideas to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. No, it was, it was the presence of God, literally for them, a manifest uh, pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. That was their distinctive. The miraculous wonders that let them out of Egypt. And all oh, of the church would have a revelation of this again, that we'd stop with the games and the gimmicks. What the world needs is an encounter with the presence of God. Although we'd be, we'd be desperate for the presence of God to be in our midst in such a way, the world cannot deny that God is with us so I love hearing the testimonies of this beginning to bubble up in people's hearts of the church truly being the church, people being the fragrance of Christ in our city, people sharing the gospel with their neighbors. This week, people praying for individuals to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their own living rooms, people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit in their life groups. Last Sunday up here, people getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit Heard one testimony this week of two different families, both of whom had different financial needs, but one felt led by the Lord to give sacrificially to the other by the Lord. That's the, the aroma of Christ as you are aware of him in a moment. You don't confine those moments to a church service or when the worship, is, the worship team is playing just the right song, but it's in your living room that Holy Spirit allows you to 
sense his nearness, and, and we respond. I'm gonna invite the worship team forward. We have such a privilege to host his presence as individuals and as a church family, amen? Are you guys awake, amen? Yeah. It's a privilege for us to host his presence. We've been on quite the journey over the last several weeks beginning to crack the door open to encountering the love of God for, ourself, for ourselves personally. And I pray that you've been challenged. Even if this is your first week, I pray this morning there's something that was encouraging to your heart to pursue the Lord for yourself. If you'd all stand in this place, this is how I felt like we could wrap up this whole series, A Prince from the Ashes. Psalm 113 is that he takes the needy from the ashes and he places them with princes. That is the extravagance of God's love. And there's so much that I believe God has revealed to us and stirred in us and given us understanding of over the last several weeks. And so I want us to do something to kind of um, cap it off, tie a bow around it in a, in a sense, like stick a stake in the ground, moving forward for ourselves as a church family of who we are in God now, who we are in Christ there's a declaration that I've written and I want us to declare this together as individual followers of Jesus. But before we do that, I want to give an opportunity for people to respond to Jesus as Savior. If you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes, anytime we gather, I want to give an opportunity for, for people to respond to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's the most important decision a person can make to realize that they can't clean up their own life they can't save themselves, that they're on that path towards destruction. And the only way off the boat, off that path, is for someone to come rescue them, and that's the person Jesus. And there's a whole life of relationship with him that's available to us. And if that's you here in this place this morning, you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to start a relationship with God. You need to renew your commitment to Jesus, any of those things. If you'd raise your hand, I'm not gonna call you out or embarrass you, I just wanna know who I'm praying for. But right now, if that's you, would you raise your hand? Awesome, thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. This is always a matter of the heart. Please know that even when we call people to raise their hands, we're not keeping track of those things in like some weird stat book somewhere. <laughs> we're calling people to decision because it's important for you to mark, you're like draw a line in the sand and say, no turning back. This is a day, this is a moment. This is a day of salvation. It's like Zacchaeus' day. That's what Jesus told him. Today, is, it's your day, Zacchaeus. So that's why we give opportunities for decisions. I just wanna, oh, I just wanna speak that out. This is a matter of your heart. So even if you didn't raise your hand right now, you can pray this prayer. I saw one hand, but if, if there's any others, this is the heart you can, this is the prayer you can pray from your own heart. Even tonight as you lay your head on your pillow, pray it like this, Lord, tonight, today, this morning, I come to the end of myself. I realize that I can't clean up my own life. But you are my only hope. You are the perfect sacrifice. You're the one who took my place on the cross. It should have been me on that cross. But instead, you took my place. And I placed my faith in that perfect sacrifice. Knowing that you cleanse me of all my sin, 
of all my wrongdoing. You give me a fresh start that today I can be born again. Holy Spirit can come and live inside of me. And I'm gonna follow you, King Jesus, from this day forward and no turning back. Amen. And what happens when we pray that prayer from our own hearts, not some magic formula, but when we pray that prayer from our own hearts, when we confess him as Lord and Savior, what happens is you, you get the full package. You get this full inheritance. The very de- declaration that we're gonna read right now, you get it all. You don't have to like earn your stripes and like uh, prove yourself over 30 years before you can confidently declare this gospel identity. This is what you get when you declare Jesus as Lord. Would you put that first slide up there? I am a child of God. There's three of these slides and I want us to read these. These are declarations of our identity in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. And I want this to, to move your heart for it to go with us as we go today. Let's read this. I am a child of God. I am no longer alone. Now I belong in the Father. I am no longer an orphan. Now I am part of God's family. I am no longer bound to the shame of my past. Instead, now I have a Father who accepts me and calls me his own. I am an heir of a kingdom. I am no longer a slave to sin. Now I have been set free in Christ. I am no longer in charge of my own life. Now I follow a king who rules and reigns perfectly. I no longer sit on the outside looking in. Instead, now I have an inheritance to do the works that Jesus did. I am a host of God's presence. I'm no longer called unholy. Now I'm made holy because of the only one who is holy. I no longer need to be afraid of the presence of God. Instead, now I get the privilege of hosting the presence of God. I no longer have to do life on my own. Instead, now I have the promise of the Holy Spirit and power for living. Let's praise God in this place. Hallelujah, Lord. Yes, King Jesus, we respond. We respond to your love this morning fully. From this day forward, Lord, we want to respond to the extravagant, the extravagance of your love. That it may be a daily revelation. That we may be responding to every single day, Monday through Sunday. I pray that over our church family, over every individual, in your mighty name. Let's respond. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.